Good afternoon, guys. Good to see you, Phil. Good to see you, Dave. How are you? Over to Dave. <laughs> what do you mean, over to Dave? Is that the format? I'm all right. Format? I say I'm all right. <laughs> I'm all right. Good day, I'm all right. Bad day, I'm all right. Boys, boys, I'm good. I've had a relatively flat day after the, you know, you go all week, you're under full head of steam. I got to Friday and I'm like, really can't be bothered, guys, but I'll just chip away at it. And then before you know it, it's like, oh, it's nearly two o'clock. We are reconvening with the COD and season four, boys. We, we're back, season four. Yeah, having that. that. With a new brand, which, uh, which, which people will see on their podcast provider of choice, which is looking slick. Mm. We'll and do. We also have uh, some, some, something else to uh, update people on. What else are we doing, boys? What else are we doing? Are we going real world? We're going real world, aren't we? Go on, tell us. Tell us what we're doing. We are. We are. From the people who brought you talking card, (laughs) walking card. Oh, walking card. Can anyone see what we did there? It's genius. (laughs) It is. And uh, 13th of October, we are actually convening uh, a, a, a kind of, a walk, a walk and talk, a chill, a kind of way of bringing people together that uh, that might listen to the show and just like get together, go mm-hmm. for a walk, enjoy some weather. Friday, the thirteenth of October, what, what could, could go possibly wrong? go wrong? <laughs> <laughs> with the three we've of been, us, we've been thinking about this kind of <laughs> with the three of us. Yeah, bring, bring a map. Oh my goodness, <laughs> and a shotgun just in case with group leader. Our group leader is Dave Bonkers, by the way. Wow. What could possibly go yeah. wrong? Yeah. <laughs> but all, 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 all jokes aside, we, I, we think it's going to be nice. We've been like looking at ideas of doing something in the real world for a while. And, you know, we, we don't want to make it that grand that it's, a you know, us on a stage or something ridiculous like that. Uh, so we've just got the idea. We all, all enjoy the fresh air. Uh, we all enjoy, you know, the beautiful scenery that we've got around around our necks of the woods. So walking cod number one will be um, where, where we're setting off from, the drop-off in Berry. Yeah, tell us more about that, Dave. Yeah, so we've earmarked it as the drop-off, a.k.a. the Providence Society, which is in Edenfield, just outside Berry. So that's the plan because it's a great spot. It's a great little cafe where you get some food from, some decent grub and a brew after, you know, we, when we come back. Also, straight out of that place, you're up over the hills as well. Uh, I've got a few routes in mind, but that's the plan on the 13th. But prior to that, we'll we'll put some other comms out with a bit more information as to distance and you know what what level it is. It'd be it'd be decent. It'd be a medium walk. You know what I mean? You're gonna you're gonna have to put a shift in, which is what you yeah. want. It's not all flat. I mean, we live over on the Pennines, so you got to get you got to put a shift in, and that's what we want. So so that's the plan. Yes. But we'll bring you more information. As we go, as we work it out, that's the one in it, lads. As yeah. we work it out on the fly, <laughs> on the fly, as we prototype it, there may or may not be some t-shirts to buy on the day if we pull our finger on the, out for the thirteenth. For the thirteenth. For the thirteenth. Mm, come on, I'm just going to tell you there will be no yeah. t-shirts available on the day. <laughs> <laughs> now what? We'll see. We'll pick back up on. We'll that. see that. That's Phil saying. Yes, we are doing this, Dave. Get it sorted. Right. <laughs> exactly. Put it on your list. Um, and the other thing is, um, if you want to reserve a place, just so we know, so we've got an idea of numbers, 
um, and we, you know, when we do the health and safety uh, risk assessment, um, obviously, uh, if you just register up, yeah, walkingcard.eventbrite.com uh, and just chuck your details in there so we know you come mm-hmm. in. Uh, and that is it. I think that's going to be a right good day. It's going to be a great day. More conversation, more getting together, the kind of stuff that we can talk about on Talking Cod, but in the real world. So, Watch this space. Should we get on with a podcast? Let's do it, boys. Let's do it. Let's season do it. four. On. Buzzing about season four. It seems like ages ago since we recorded something. So getting on with season four, we've got some amazing guests lined up. We've earmarked some amazing intrepid explorers, somebody who's done 14 marathons in 16 days, who's been on before, returning guest, um, and somebody from L.A., Maybe joining on as well in a, in a in a month or two. Um, a very very wise. Hello, darling. Yeah. How are you gonna talk? Yeah, it's not Lower Ambleside. It's Los Angeles. So yeah. So um, speaking of guests, hang on a second. Um, let me just count this up. One, two, three. There's four people on this podcast. Who's this other guy? I brought my mate. I brought one of my mates. I do have friends, you know, guys. Apart from the two of you, I do have <laughs> friends and know other people. I brought one of my mates, Mr. Elkinson. How are you, bud? Good afternoon, gentlemen. How are we doing? Oh, he's very eloquent, is the Benj, and he's very, very eloquent. You know, well, he's starting <laughs> off very eloquent. We're good, man. We're good. Are you? Yeah, not bad at all. Soon go pretty potty mouth. Don't you worry about that. I'll bring the uh, toner right down. <laughs> welcome nice. to this. Welcome to the cob, mate. Welcome to the nice. cob. Nice to meet you all. Nice to meet you, Ben. Ben, I've got, go on, go on, go on, go on. introduce Dave, go on, do it. I will do. Let me give you a little bit of backstory because I've known Ben for, oh man, I want to say 20 years now, which is pretty good. Nearly 25, mate. Is it 25 years? Yeah, we, yeah. we met, we met, didn't we, when you would, well, I worked with you when we, you were doing a stint at Glasgow Rangers back in the day. And then I think we sort of stayed in touch outside of that and you've had, You've been here and you've been there. And then I think I worked with you again when you were at, was it Nike? Went to Nike. Yeah, when you yeah. were back at Nike and I'm at, uh, at Man United. We were, I yeah. went with you there again, which was, which was, which was cool. And we've, we've kept in touch ever since really. And it, I guess one of those relationships where sometimes, you know, you speak to people on a regular basis and then you don't, but then all of a sudden you sort of like reconvene the worlds realign and, and, so it's always been good to keep to keep in touch because some of the stuff that you've been through resonated with me and maybe 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 vice versa. And you know, I I follow you. I stop. Well, we follow each other on 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 Instagram. And and the other day you put a post out with a picture of bread, and I'm like, Ben's baking his bread again. And the, the first thing I thought was like, you've still not sent me any when 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 you baked it because it always looks <laughs> always looks awesome but then unlike myself when i do put stuff on social on instagram which is just a picture of a hill and 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 the hashtag super boss you actually went you actually put some crafted narrative around it which i found really interesting and around the point of building mastery and i was like oh okay let's uh let's have a think about this let's let let's what what's all what's what's this all about so i thought you know what let's get him on let's get him on the pod and he can talk about baking bread and Thick building grilling like a slice of toast. That's where it came from. Mm. Come on. It's that. Look at that. He can come on again. 
like it. <laughs> like it. Yeah, I just, it's an interesting one. I've, I've started baking it again. And the reason, I think I kind of started doing it, the, the long story is I woke up really hungover one morning and wanted hot dogs. And uh, as you do, like really dirty, horrible Frankfurt, nasty things. Out of a tin, the my... ones in the tin. Yeah, uh, yeah, preferably, yeah. And um, <sighs> I went, I went down to my local supermarket, and they didn't have any of those really sort of milky white finger rolls. So, in my sort of still post hungover state, I thought, well, how hard can it be? So, got some flour, got some yeast, some salt, water, went home, read a couple of recipes and produced what I can only describe as the most inedible pieces of shit that anyone's <laughs> ever put on a plate next to some frankfurters. It was a mm. disgrace. Um, it was, they were so bad. Um, and so I kind of parked it for a bit. And then a, f- a, a while later I was um, – before we go, I might as well get straight into the deep, heavy stuff. I was going through, I was doing a whole load of work on myself on the back of um, some processes around dialectical behavioral therapy and DBT, which was part of a process. I have no idea what that means, mate, whatsoever, but do continue. I have no idea. Okay, so in a nutshell, at the end of uh, 2017, I was diagnosed with borderline personality disorder which was related to trauma, um, self-esteem issues, emotional regulation, and all sorts of things. And one of the processes that comes out of that is, is a form of therapy called DBT, or Dialectical Behavioral Therapy. And it's very regimented, it's modular, it's very heavy process, but it focuses a lot around things like mindfulness and self-esteem and distress tolerance and various other sort of modules. And one of the things that came out of that very quickly was, do do you have any hobbies? Do you have something that you can focus on that you don't know how to do right now that you think you might be able to get better at? But part of the process is the actual process itself. So being mindful, being in the moment, focusing on something else. Because once you're in a certain cycle of thought or thought patterns and behavior, it's quite easy to start thinking that if you can't do one thing, you're there shit at everything. So, (laughs) for example, if you drop a plate, you can easily go to the next page, which is, I'm a terrible dad, I'm a liability, I'm not very good. And you start this cycle of negative self-talk and loathing and all those sorts of things. And there's lots of things that can open those doors. And so starting to do something that you're not very good at and actually starting to get better at, that you can spend time being in the moment of, but then getting progressively better at, is is a way of building your self-esteem to prove that you can actually do something. And if you can do it in a process then you should be able to apply those to other parts of your everyday life. And it therefore means that your tasks and your self-esteem become slightly separated. So if you fail at something, it doesn't mean you're shit at everything else. And that's kind of how that process began. And so similar to, you know, 
nobody wakes up in the morning and says, right, I'm going to you know, run the London Marathon and tries to run 26 miles. You should start by just running around the block or running for a bus or something else rather than going to the absolute end game, although you may well have a goal in mind at the end. Um, and that, that was basically how I began that whole process was in line with my therapy, in line with my modules, in line with the progress that I was making. It was quite a nice sense check to see where the balance was and how I could, you know, there's so many things that can go wrong in just making a loaf of bread. Could be the water, could be the mix, could be the flour, could be the temperature of the room, could be the temperature of the oven, could be how long you need it for, could be all these different things. And you have eight or ten different ways that things can go wrong without you just being terrible at all of them. And so by eradicating each one as you go through and testing and trying again, you progress and you become better at it and it becomes more natural. And the upshot of that is that you start to believe actually you can do other things and you can actually become better at them as well as having a sandwich at the end of it, which is always quite satisfying. Mm. A good sandwich. Or a hot dog. Or a hot hot dog. dog. Baguettes are particularly difficult. We'll come to that one at some point, Phil. But again, this is the next stage, right? It's, you know, I complete. I completely see that, and I, I, I you know, I, I, you know, I, I have. Well, you know, as, as we document on the, on 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 the show, you know, I, I, I've still suffered uh, quite uh, a lot with my mental health at um, various points in my life, and it has been. There was point a point where a doctor said to me, "Do you have a hobby?" And I recognised that I didn't. I didn't do anything about it, and it and it took, you know, it took the next wall that I hit, uh, where I was kind of forced out of, uh, you know, a situation that, that I had to calibrate, and um, and that was the point where, not not through direction or or, or, or or anything a, a therapist had said to me but 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 you know I started to get myself immersed in um different things cooking in general um and my, my thing as I was saying to the guys on whatsapp last night is I love making pizzas and and it's sort of not on the same level, Ben, not at all. But I tell you, every time I go back and I tweak this and I've got I've got some new yeast or I've got some new flour and I've tried a different balance of stuff in there and it's, you know, proofed, I've proved it a different way. Every time there's this, you know, it is literally, I remember saying to my wife a couple of weeks ago, I really love making pizzas. I really do. And, 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 but it's that same thing of going, you know what, the, whatever shit is happening in your life and those, the self doubt and the, and the, and the inner voices and what have you, there are things that you know that you can take and, and that you know categorically you're pretty good at. And I think we all struggle because the world of work that we're in doesn't, and we're all in similar kind of fields, and it, but it, there isn't never any end point, and there's not much reward, mm. and there's not much recognition that that thing's done now. Absolutely. Great, happy yeah. days. Yeah. Rest on your laurels for a little bit. Mm. So, I, what you've described there, Ben, is 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 um, 
yeah, pretty cool. One one thing about it though that the difference that I've gone through is that I don't think I ever really gave myself much of a safety net in terms of my own protection from that. In that, if it failed, I would think I cannot provide, I cannot feed my family. Everyone's going to go hungry. I'm therefore a complete failure. To shops still open, I was going to buy a loaf of bread. You know what I mean? Everyone still eat, and you know what I mean. In the same way that. In your head, if you give yourself that safety net to say, do you know what, my pizza's this week, do you know what, there's always dominoes. It's all right. Do you know what I mean? We're, we'll, we'll be okay. It's not it, – but it's part of that process. And, yes, being being able to effectively forgive yourself by having something that you're doing for yourself that eventually will benefit others or yourself at some point. But at the end of the day, if it doesn't happen, it is not the end of the world. And I was in a place where virtually everything, I think, was the end of the world. And therefore, I was clinging on to something that I was determined to get better at to the point where it becomes sort of natural. And the interesting point is you mentioned lockdown when we were talking earlier. And it was, you know, everybody went all of a sudden decided they were going to start making sourdough bread. Have you ever made a crusty white roll with shop bought yeast and have you practiced on anything else yet? <laughs> nope. Like, why, why are you trying to run an ultra marathon when you should literally be running for a bus? That's the first, you know, just build it up slowly and slowly and slowly. But I felt like I was doing tutorials with people who didn't actually know half of the processes were trying to create this, these things. And they're like, oh, let's risen this one. Like, oh, that's just gonna be... Right. Yeah, and see, we've got a while to go here. But, uh, well, there, was a, there were a lot of bananas. I think there's still people who've got toilet rolls in bedrooms that they'll never ever sh- they never get rid of. It's still, yeah. You know. Ben, just I mean, just want to say thanks. You know, you, you've kind of got straight into to, to this podcast, and and just how we speak with each other and Phil's obviously back that up with by being quite open straight away about some of the experiences that we've had. We've all been through some pretty difficult experiences. You mentioned. Um, trauma, um, borderline personality disorder, you know. So thanks for sharing that because I think it's great when guys in particular do share these kind of vulnerabilities, which I think now becomes almost like a superpower um, for, for, for guys like us. But are you willing to tell us a little bit more about, you know, what, what that trauma was and a little bit more about borderline personality disorder? Yeah, but absolutely. I, I basically... Um... I got to the trauma stuff right at the very end of, of the process. So I was I was diagnosed um, through a very long, I mean, I think it was about a two and a half hour um, assessment that I went through. And I tried various forms of, of talking therapy and uh, I'd, I'd not tried any medication just because I think my needs at the time were too immediate that I couldn't wait for three or four weeks for or or longer for for medication to come in and one of the things about borderline is that it's about emotion a lot of it's about emotion regulation so you can either if if you think about your mind as a bowl of water and at one end you've got ice cubes and at the other end you've got boiling water and in the middle you've got this lukewarm stuff which is your wise mind right and when you've got borderline, it's very, very narrow. 
you're either really cold in terms of I make a logical, pragmatic decision, and this is what we're doing it, and regardless of, of the outcome. And at the other end mm. is you become almost overconsumed by um, an emotional reaction to something. And what the therapy does is it just elongates that wise mind decision-making process. And as you practice it more, you can do it a lot more quickly. But at the time, it takes a long time to start going through the various things. I think an example of that would be um, house is on fire, parent is outside, and the child is inside the house. At one end, you're frozen, your ice cubes is like, well, the house is on fire, baby's mm. going to die. Oh, well, let's look for a new house. The other end is to run headlong in, regardless of what the outcome is, to try and save the child, regardless of the fact that you might get burnt down or anything else because you're making it in that emotion mind. The wise mind thing is, let's call the fire brigade. That's the first thing because they're the experts and let's take it from there and think about that process. And so... Where I was was very much either side of that wise mind decision. And so depending on whether it was uh, relationship driven, it could be very emotion mind and my business head would be much more pragmatic, cold water end. Um, and so it's about ultimately the choices and being able to make that decision making process by going through your list of what makes those choices and evaluating where you are on that scale as quickly as possible. Yes. But making as many decisions in a wise mind as, as you can without necessarily like another example, I'd have an argument or something would go wrong at work. And the first thing I'd do is, all right, as soon as I have, as soon as I finish work, I'm going to have a pint. And that I sat down with my therapist once and he said, right, okay, so how, how let's go through the decision choices that you made in that decision. So, when you got on the train, where did you stand? Well, I stood at the back. Why did you stand at the back? Well, it was nearest the exit. Okay, when you got off, when you went up the stairs, how many did you go? One at a time, two at a time? Was, oh, two mm. or three at a time. When you came out of the station, did you go up to the zebra crossing and cross over, or did you cross diagonally through the traffic? Oh, through the traffic. When you went into the supermarket, where did you go to? Or I went straight to the beer fridge. Did you get anything else? Did you think you needed anything else? Nope, I just needed to get there. What did you buy? Mm. I bought four pint cans of Stella. Why? Well, that's the fastest point from A to B. And then, you know what I mean? And then it's straight down to the house. I, mean, I was literally opening one as I got in through the door, and he said, right, okay, stop. You had nine choices there to actually put the brakes on and go, why am I doing this? You'd already made your mind up that you were going to have a beer as the only solution to get to that. But where you stood on the train, how you went up the stairs, where you crossed the road, what beer you bought, all this. At each of those moments, you had a moment to put your wise mind on and just stop for a second and go, do I actually need a pint? Or is that just my default reaction because I can't be in here because I'm so overwhelmed by something that I need to reach for something that's going to change the way I feel or think or give me a focus or do something else. And so that's a, a quick way of saying how you elongate that wise mind. Um, and so the choices that I then made were I had to keep a diary card as part of that. I mean, my, my, my therapy was a group work on a, on a one day a week. Um, I did a one-to-one -one once a week. Um, and then I had to keep a diary seven days a week and I had homework as well. So it was, it, it was all or nothing, but I was in a place where I, I basically had no choice. And this was kind of, you know, this, this was <coughs> hopefully going to be the one. So I threw everything into it. Um, 
And I used to have to document my food and my um, alcohol intake or, or my food and drink throughout the day. And so I got to a point where I was starting to put in what I call WMBs. And he was like, what's that? Like, They're wise mind beers. It's like, well, what do you mean by that? It's like, well, a friend of mine invited me to the pub. It's sunny outside. Everything's okay. I'm going to have a couple of pints. We're going to have a chat, and then I'm going to get on the tube on the way home. And that's me having a beer, making a wise mind decision, rather than I have to have a beer because it's an emotional reaction to something that's triggered me in a certain way. I'm not quite sure how to deal with it because I haven't identified what the problem is. Therefore, I haven't identified what the solution is. It could be angry. It could be lovely. It could be you know hate. It could be whatever. And my default position would just be get something down mm-hmm. my throat. Not that I would, not that I had a drinking problem as such, but it was just as an example of a an emotional reaction to a fairly reckless decision that might have consequences mm. down the line. But I wasn't worried about what that consequence was. Mm. I just needed to not be where I was yeah. right then. I like, I like that intervention. So, 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 it's a really great example of how you made that decision making process. And it's one I'm been reading through the the Dialectical Behaviour Therapy Skills Workbook, um, because I've, I've been through a, a similar kind of experience. Um, but my experience was was the doctor was saying, there's nothing else available other than medication, or you can wait three months for therapy. So by the point, you know, I was that desperate, it was a case of, I'll just do anything, just just change it. And I love your description of that, that wise mind, if you like, or that, that rational mind that can actually make a, an informed decision with a decision-making process, because that kind of felt, to me, it was almost the case of, it was described as bipolar disorder when, when I was first diagnosed. As I was either up on the ceiling or on the floor. There was nothing in between. And everything was a catastrophe. You know, if something went wrong, it went from instant, you know, there was an occasion, which I'm quite embarrassed about, where... Pancake day, doing pancakes. I'm actually quite a good cook, usually. Pancake day, doing pancakes, and the batter wasn't quite right. And the family sat around the table waiting for these pancakes, and I always deliver top-quality pancakes, and previously a perfectionist. Phil's smiling because he probably can relate to this with his pizza experiences. But on this on this one particular occasion, they just, they just weren't going right, and they were sticking to everything anyway, so... I thought what would be funny was, oh, look at this, and threw it across the room to, you know, to go, look, it doesn't even come out of the pan, but it flew out of the pan, landed on the tap, started dribbling down the tap, and I tried to pretend it was deliberate. You know, I, I meant to do that, kids, and the kids, you know, like almost in tears. I'm like, I'm only joking, kids, don't cry. And all of a sudden, I absolutely dropped to the floor. I've gone from let's have some fun to go, I'm the shittiest dad in the world, Get rid of me now because I'm toxic for you all. So within within minutes, I'd gone from having a bit of fun to just hitting the floor. And there's probably a point in there where I could have done with DBT. You know, I could have had that point of this doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't really matter. We've had we've had a bit of fun. Let's do something else. As, as you as you say, you can always order a pizza if you really want to. But for me, that's never an option. Um. Did did you catastrophize as well? Was that was that was that part of 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 your life? Absolutely. Uh, I mean, I was yeah, I was traveling quite a lot to see my kids up in Manchester, and because of circumstances of location and where I was, and and you know 
because I was, you know, paying for a lot of paying for a lot of therapy and, and trying to balance a lot of outgoings, I would, you know, invariably have to get the mega bus. Oh yeah. Good old mega bus. And so it was not uncommon for me to say goodbye to the kids at three o'clock on a Sunday afternoon at Shoe Dill in Manchester and sob all the way to Birmingham. Like, you know, that guy at the back of the bus with a meal deal, he's just sobbing into a carrier bag. Like, what's wrong with him? I'm fine. I'm okay. But I was the worst dad. You know, this, every choice I've ever made was the worst thing I'd ever done. And if something went wrong, it was an absolute catastrophe. Um, and that was, that was really hard. Um, I mean, one of the things about being, you know, having borderline is that you're quite good at masking a lot of your own. So Dave, for example, knew a persona of me, which is not that similar to who I am, except I was fairly sort of empty in, you know, in here, which I didn't really recognize. And so my career as I was going through and I was collecting business cards and brands like, like Panini football stickers was like, how, you know, how can you have all this stuff and not feel relevant or validated? And so the logo that was on that card kind of made me feel like I had a purpose and through poor choices, a terrible relationship and some other things, I found myself out of work and I was a long way away from a lot of other people. And that meant that the phone stopped ringing and all of those things. I thought, well, don't worry, I've been in this business 20 years. So, you know, someone will want to pick me up you know, and nothing happened. And that then accelerated a lot of that catastrophizing. I think that for a long time and I was busy and I didn't have time to be in my own head that much. And I was, you know, I, I, I meant it meant that I was, you know, that part of my brain was sated. Um, I was still making poor choices, but I didn't realise the consequences of some of those choices at the time. And so actually having time to be in my head and then being with someone who didn't necessarily even, you know, didn't really contribute to my well-being, or in fact helped accelerate it or triggered a lot of the things that happened in my mid-teens that contributed to the trauma meant that I found myself in a very, very dark place. Um, and I found myself isolated from a lot of people and from a family and from, you know, and again, as you said, you know, I'm not just catastrophizing, but you get to the point where you're the problem. Mm. Actually, I've got this. The easiest thing is if I'm not here, then everyone else is going to be all right. They they can all get on with the planning. They can all do this and fucking, they're all just, you know, they're just waiting for me to make another stupid decision or make sure that it's, you know, can't make a decision because I'm too worried about where I'm going to be or how I'm going to get there or what we're going to do when we get there or anything else. Actually, you just end up freezing and not able to make any sort of decision in any sort of mind because you're just completely overwhelmed by the whole thing. Um, so, yeah, I found myself in that position and I just needed someone to sit me down and say, this is it this is actually what it is that's wrong with you. And I've been, as I said, I've been through various things, but I didn't know what, what it was. I thought I was okay. And I clearly wasn't. And so having a correct diagnosis meant that finding the right medication or therapy or whatever it was became a lot more. Um, I basically, I remember sitting down with my therapist who, you know, and I'd done, I was living down in Devon and so I'd done very, oh God, I mean, 
Dave, you know me well enough by now, but I'm not necessarily a sort of a crystals and beanbag kind of guy. Um, and had done some of that and sat with a guy, you know, in a rocking chair for an hour where I was like, I'm just telling you how shit my life is. This is not, you know, it's not even that bad. Like, I was like, mm, great. Can you tell yeah. me more? I'm like, I could, but I need you. I need you to give mm-hmm. me something. And so I met a guy. Uh, yeah. So, uh, so the guy who ended up being my therapist was a, um, a guy from Leytonstone in East London who, who was not messing. And so I sat down, I think he, he said, I'm just going to ask you 10 yes or no questions and then I'll see whether or not I can treat you. And so it was like, have you done this? Have you been through this? Yes, no, duh, duh, duh. And I can't remember what it was, but question number seven, and I'll, I, would, I need to ask Daryl what it was. Basically, it put me on the floor and I ended up sobbing. I can't remember what the question was, but it was basically like he'd just gone, found it, bang, yeah. got yeah. you. I've absolutely not. And, and so whilst I was still sort of trying to sort my head out, he was like, right, I'll see you next week. When do you want to start? I was like, <laughs> and so, um, and I kind of needed somebody who was going to talk to me on the same level that I was at. And so he could give, he could speak in fairly industrial mm. language and I'd present my homework every week and go, great, that's bollocks. I'm like, hang on, whoa, 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 whoa. wait a minute, aren't you going to read that? It's like, no, not yet. It will come to mm. that eventually. And so we started going through, you was like, just trust, again, trust mm. the process and go through all those things without knowing necessarily where the end game was going to be. And this comes back to your vulnerability point, Andy, about be, you know, being a super strength. You, I, I kind of had to, open myself up and go, right, I, uh, I've got to give you everything. Anything that you ask for in this, I'm n- not holding anything back. So I didn't miss a single week of, of group work. I didn't. I think I missed one one-to-one that I caught up. My, my homework was up to a point where I wasn't just filling in the cards. I'd created my own spreadsheet with my own scoring system so I could produce a chart at the end of it, which he now uses, which he, he still doesn't really understand to this day. Um, there were things that I was doing in week one and week two that he'd come back to in week 18 or week 20. That was like, do you remember when we did that? Now this is yeah. relevant. Do you remember when, and it was like, Oh, you bastard. You know, it was like, it, 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 it sort of these, these multi-layered sort of conversations it seemed very dictatorial at the time as we was, go- as I was going through it. But again, it was one of those things. Don't worry about the destination. Just focus on the journey for now. And, particularly those lessons around distress tolerance and having, you know, how do we cool that water down? You know, how do you notice things? How much more aware are you of how much are you less in your head and through here? How do you, you know, what techniques do you use? Um, And those are things that still use now, but I don't really recognize that I use them that much because they're just so automated and they're just part of my, everyday life so for example you know Dave you picking up that that Instagram thing guys you know I'm just like well I didn't even think I didn't really have to think that much about what I was talking about and how I was doing it because it was just hopefully someone might see this because they might understand or they might recognize that there's something else here and it's not just that that there's a bigger thing um and so I I, the the vulnerability piece is interesting because I I think I went to the interview for this job that I've had for, for four years now. And at the end of it, was like, by the way, just cards on the table. I've been through a year's worth of therapy uh, and I've done a whole load of stuff around PTSD. 
Um, by the way, if you have any programs about mental health or mental health first aiders or mental health champions or anything else, I'm your guy. But, you know, it, it, but I need to let you know that because if you do want to give me the job and you subsequently find out in six months' time and you might have some sort of judgment, that's up to nice, you. Nice. But I'm going to tell you nice. who I am and where I am and how I've got here and how much I can give you. And if it's not for you, that's up to you. But I've given absolutely everything I can. This is this is the best version of me, you know? That's like the opposite of what you said before about having that persona, wasn't it? You know, this the it's the, the persona of what you've showed to the rest of the world, whereas that second version is this is exactly who I am. And it sounds less stressful to just be honest. And, you know, it, it's tiring at times. I, I, you know, I speak with a lot of people who, who've been through or go through sim- similar things. It's exhausting trying to wear this persona all the time. You, you mentioned um, some of these decision-making processes, and it kind of reminds me of Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman, that we, there are times when we just have to reprogram ourselves. You know, we've got to this point of we've programmed ourselves to make decisions in a particular way. You described how you would buy beer, for example. Um, but there are, there, there are particular processes that we do go through from time to time. We don't even know why we have these habits or, or why we do certain things. We just do them. And these are probably just old faulty programs that we've got in our brains that might have worked at some point, but they just don't work anymore. But you, you mentioned a few different techniques there. One of them was writing in a diary. And I, when I'm coaching people, I always ask them to, to get a diary or a journal and just write the stuff that we talk about for the next session, just simple stuff. And, and it's, it's fascinating when you go back over a period of time and you go, oh, actually, yeah, I did mention this a few weeks ago, but I found an answer to that already. Do you still use a diary or a journal I, to, to do stuff like not that? Not as much. I still use, you know, I still use techniques such as keeping a list of what I've actually achieved because it is very often to say I have been mm. busy as bollocks yeah. all week and I've done yeah. nothing. I've done fuck all. Yeah. Um, when in fact actually helping somebody with a piece of work or explaining something or host it or, or chairing a meeting or doing these things are, could be conceived as trivial or just doing your job, but they mm. actually might have better part or bigger meaning to what you've been doing Mm. i think the interesting one about keeping the diary was particularly around the food diary Mm. and again i was keeping these these charts and you know i couldn't quite do it so on one side i had to keep uh, a a document of the most emotional thing that happened to me that day whether that was good or you know up down whatever and then i had all of my emotions in one box and i had to score myself out of 10 as to how I'd figured on that day as whether it was happy, sad, you know, whatever. And I couldn't understand for the life of me why on the back of it, I'd keep this food diary. And so long story short, there'd be a correlation between Wednesday, had an argument, snapped at my boss, was tired, went to the pub, you know, drank four or five pints, got home, ate half a pizza, had seven hours sleep, went and started it again. To having the day before looking at going, skip lunch, skip breakfast, didn't have lunch, you know, had a sandwich for tea, didn't do anything. To then going fast forward several months or several weeks and saying, well, I had a yogurt for breakfast and a piece of fruit. I actually had some noodles mm. and, you know, some a nice broth at lunchtime. And then went home, cooked a nice dinner, 
watched TV and went to bed, didn't drink anything. Following day, had a really nice day. Yeah, funny. Wow. Yeah, it's a lot, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder why. <laughs> I wonder why. Yeah. It's and so amazing. things that we would start the process and the practice with would be just just practicing a little meditation, full body scan, and getting to know your body because of those parts of particularly managing distress tolerance is noticing that your amygdala is sending you your frontal lobe a signal that something is coming, right? And so if you're in tune with your body and you know you can notice it, you can actually trick your body or trick your mind to stop that distress before it even gets there. So you ask any actor whether or not they get nervous before they go on stage after Macbeth for the hundredth time, they'll turn around and go, no, no problem at all, but their palms will be sweaty. That's this bit again. Yeah. <laughs> I'm still not quite comfortable with. Whereas this bit's going, it's fine, guys, I've got this. Or my shoulders are tense. Or you get butterflies in your stomach or something. These are all subconscious signals from your body to your mind to tell you that something is in the post and that you can do something about it. So before it gets to the point of being massively overwhelmed, you do have a chance of stopping that cycle. And just when you think your brain's like, hang on, wait, why are we, why are we counting banisters? Why are we counting the amount of bricks in a course of wall? Because, oh, God, we were going to have a panic. What are we doing now? Oh, you bastard, you've tricked me again. <laughs> hang on, right, I'll come back to this. And you've stopped it before it even gets to that point. But... If you can notice it before it's happening, like, ah, hang on, wait a minute, right, I, there's something I can do here. I can count the number of wires. I can do something. And I can distract away mm. from what is coming um, and whether it's running your wrists under a cold tap or doing something that can change your physical sensation can stop your brain getting to that point as well. Mm. So being in that emotional state is then when you get to it, like how do I then come out of it? What's the logic? What's the wise mm. mind? And how do all those things work yeah. as of that? And how do I get, how do I get back to that lukewarm water? Yeah. But before it even gets to that, you can, you can recognize a lot more. I love that distraction technique. And I, 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 I used that a lot when I first started doing the practice. And so what I had to do was unlearn everything. And as my dear old Daryl would tell me, if you're worried about the past that you can't do anything about and you're worrying about a future that you can't predict, how the fuck are you going to worry about now? And there's enough to worry about right now. So anything that's gone before, you can't do anything about that and you don't know what's going to happen. So you have to live now, mm. right now, and, and work from there. So I spent nine months basically retraining my brain to work in that cycle and actually try and regulate myself in that moment, not live for now, live fast, die young, but very much in a process that means that yes, you can make mistakes. You can apologize. You can own them and be genuinely remorseful and you can be pragmatic and plan for a future and make, you know, reasonable decisions as to when you're going to travel or what you're going to wear or all those sorts of things. Cause you can kind of, we don't know what's actually going to happen either way. When I got to the end of that work, so I don't mind if I'm just rambling on on this, but get, when I got to the end of it, I completed all the modules. I didn't have to do anything else. Got my, got my ticket at the end of it. And Dan was like, you're going to be all right. Um, but we've got two choices. We can either stop now 
knowing that you're going to be okay for 85 to 90% of the time. You're going to have no problems. You're going to be able to manage it. You've now got all the tools in your box. You're going to be okay. There isn't anything that can be thrown at you that we don't think that you're not going to be able to deal with either emotionally or without making any of those sorts of um, unwise decisions. Or we can go for the blue ribboned platinum medal while you're actually here. What's happened here? And so we went, he basically said, we, if you want to flip the PTSD card and you want to dig in, and basically, I think he said something like 85% of people who started don't finish it. Um, there's a danger that if you do open this door, you could actually end up worse than you were when you walked in mm. through the door. Mm. Um, so is it but opening at least Pandora's the, box? Yeah, but you've but you've got the tools to be able to deal with it. Or... And I wouldn't recommend this for everyone, but I reckon you should. I reckon you should do this. And so, it was at the beginning of the October, and we'd identified some things that had happened. One of them was um, when I was about fifteen. I was assaulted, just wrong place, wrong time. Had the absolute shit kicked out of me. You know, wrong clothes. Summer's evening. Turn around the corner. Big group of guys. It, it was my time, right? And so I went through a process of what was called flooding. I don't know if any of you are familiar with this particular thing. So I sat down in his office, pressed record, and he said, I want you to tell me everything that you can remember about that night. Absolutely every single detail in the deepest, most minute. I want to know the weather. I want to know what what people were wearing, everything. And so I told him in a dark room, and it lasted, I think, about an hour and 20 minutes was my description of that evening for something that had happened over the course of about 15 minutes, from when I'd met my mates to when I ended up in an ambulance. That It was such a short amount of time. And what I had to do after that was every day when I got home, I'd have to listen to that recording before I went to bed at the end of that week I then had to listen to it on the way to work on the way home from work and then in the evening two weeks after that I had to go back to where it happened and listen to the recording retrace all of my steps sit on a bench listen to the whole thing again and again and again and in between times I was having sessions with a guy who had gone from being very militaristic, very cold, very, this is, this is how it is. Fuck it. Don't worry about it. To seeing a completely different side. I remember spending, I think (laughs) basically what I had to do was I had to spend a weekend regretting every single bad decision I could remember making from the age of 15 through to the age of 45. Every time I, Every time I'd shit on someone, every time I'd broken up with a girlfriend, every time I'd let someone down, every time I had lied to someone, every time I had done everything I'd spent 10 months learning not to do, Hmm. I'd completely inverse. And I had to go back and 
relive every single moment. Wow. And basically, I remember spending, I think it was about, I think it was about 28 or 30 hours in my room, just sobbing and sobbing and sobbing. And it felt like I'd purged everything. Mm. Absolutely everything. And part of that process is to, you know, make your apologies to those that you feel that you've wronged the most. I sat down and had a, you know, I had a, I had a conversation with my ex-wife and just said, look, I, I'm, I'm terribly sorry for all these things that happened. I'm terrible for the choices. You know, I feel terrible for the choice that I made and what's happened subsequently. But I really had no choice other than to, you know, I, I, the choice I had to make was either go through this process or just not be around. Those are the only two choices that I had. Mm. So to get to that point, I remember sitting in one particular session. We were in a housing estate just behind King's Cross Station. It deliberately took me somewhere threatening to sort of make me feel what I'd felt when I'd gone through that mm. process before. And he explained something to me through using my sons as examples. And what I'd been clinging on to was for 30 years, I'd thought that if I had that chance again, I'd have done something differently. Mm. I'd have fought back or I'd have run away or I'd have looked after my mates or I'd have not turned this way or I'd not done that way. And he put a very similar scenario with my kids. And he was like, what would, you, what would your advice have been to them? Mm. And it was exactly what I'd done. He said, you've got, to, you've got to let this shit go. You couldn't have done anything else. You did now. Or you would do now what you did then. You're a, you're a pacifist, and yet you think that for some reason your life could have been in a completely different direction if you'd fought back, or if only you'd done this, or if only you'd done that. And actually going through the same scenarios, I'd have done exactly what I did then. And I felt this sense of absolute relief that I didn't have to feel guilty to myself mm. anymore for something that I had no control over at that time. And that I, had, I didn't have the tools, I did the best with what I could do. And I had a similar conversation with my mum about my divorce. You know, when they got divorced, she said, look, you, I'm not, I don't blame you for what happened. It was a contributing factor to what happened. But you were doing the best with the tools that you had. Would you have done the same now? And bizarrely, not that bizarrely, but a couple of months later, she sent me and my brother an email to, out of the blue. It's like, I'm so sorry for what happened. And it it completely changed, not completely changed our relationship, but in terms of that authenticity, in terms of that openness and that vulnerability of it being at super strength, to say, actually, do you know what? Yeah, it was the most painful thing she'd ever had to do. And she couldn't believe that she'd done it, but she had to ride it out in such a stoic, 1980s, stiff upper lip kind of, you know, Mm -hmm. it didn't happen to everyone. But it it had a material impact that my relationship with my kids now is is completely different, completely open and, and very authentic. As you've probably gathered, I'm fairly open, fairly open yeah. book. Um, you're going you're gonna to have a lie down after this. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, that lesson in terms of passing it on and coming back to what we were saying about building mastery and being able to then pass that benefit onto people it's not about forcing it down the throat but going look this is this is my story this is what happened to me but mm. it it doesn't have to be that way um but and, I, and, and to be honest if i had the choice of having if i had to go through that whole process again i'd mm. probably say yes 
it's a really brave thing to do when when it's been positioned as you know we, we're going to get to the point of the problem you know that you know we'll go to the root of the trauma and reverse it essentially but we're already fixed but you can still go down that rabbit hole if you want to and it could send you right back i mean blimey that's that's the that's the thing it's it's how do you and and that's why you know i i don't do a great deal of reading i don't do a great deal of that kind of um self-investigation anymore mainly because my my journey is completely different to anybody else's so i'm not necessarily that inclined to to go down that road so much um but i do think that having the tools to be able to do that in the first place and i trusted him implicitly because he'd fixed me and i had somebody that i would quite happily have given you know right well if you think i can do it i can do it so you needed absolute faith yeah. in him, really, didn't you, at that point? But he'd proved it to me, though. Yeah, yeah. He'd proven to me that this stuff works. And if you trust this process, which is completely the opposite to what yeah. you've done, can you now have two sides of that same coin? Amazing. Which is actually, do you know what? Yeah. I can go back and reminisce, and I can go back and dissect something mm. without knowing without it f- knowing that it's not going to put me back to where I was. Mm. And I can own my catastrophizing. Yeah. I can own my decision making and I can authentically express what that did and how it happened without it necessarily meaning that I'm going to be black marked for the rest of my life. Do you know what I mean? That's amazing. It's almost like the scene in the matrix, you take the blue pill or the red pill. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's there's no turning back once you take that pill. And yeah. it's it's I say it, it's courageous, but I mean it's almost, that is almost like a masterclass on how to recover from trauma mm. because I've, I've met lots of people with PTSD and they're too scared to recover from it, you know, because it's too frightening to relive the, the, the source of the trauma sometimes. It's too painful to do that. Even writing stuff down about, you know, do you remember what happened? It's, I, I don't want to go there. It's just, it's too scary to relive. So, yeah, yeah it was, you know, it's a really powerful story that you've shared there. And I definitely really appreciate it. And I know the listeners to this to this podcast are definitely going to appreciate it. But I think that it needs to be a warning on that as well, that it has to be done properly. It needs oh, to be done 100%. I, I had, you know, the best profession, you know, the best professional for me, you don't just walk in and go, right, someone's going to fix the trauma. I was with somebody who, you know, I'd, I'd kissed a few frogs by the time I sat down with him, you know what I mean? And it was, if it hadn't been him, I don't know if I'd have had the same path or the same the same route or anything else. So that, that's not a, you know, Pandora's box. But having had the training to be able to know that all that stuff in the past you can't undo, mm-hmm. that stuff happened, mm-hmm. Right. The fact so yeah, yeah. The, the, this is a fact that's happened yeah. and that this has brought you know has contributed to where you are right now so if you're okay with it that's that's okay so but, did, you, did you effectively just change the way you process that fact and how you felt about the facts moving forward was it just almost like changing your history or how you felt about your history it's more of, it's more of a subconscious feeling I think that mm. The thing about it was that I didn't realise that a lot of my own dissonance was being caused by an internal fight that I was having, that mm. my head and my heart were saying one thing and my actions said another, when actually, yeah. if it spelled out to me, what I did then was probably what I'd do now. And that actually that line is now 
straight. It's not this wavy thing anymore. Mm. And this comes back to going back to my point about self-esteem and and having a persona and everything else. As an example, as I talked about earlier about collecting business cards with logos on it. For a long time, I was always searching for the next thing and for the next title and for the next salary and for the next and the next, and it had to had to keep going up Mm. because something was being Mm. left at the bottom of the stairs and I just had to keep going up. Right. I now have the same job title that I had in 2005 and I couldn't Mm. care less. Love that. I'm just better at my job. I'm a better leader. I'm a better manager. I listen better. I identify what makes people tick in terms of whether they need to be spoken to five days a week or if I speak to one on a Friday and uh, speak to one on a Monday and then on a Friday. I still get the same level of attention, but how I communicate and deal with them and everybody learns in different ways some people need to be shown some people need to hear some people need to read some people you know and understanding what languages of learning people have has made me a lot more um available to them to be able to say right that that person needs prioritizing if i don't give them time i know that that's going to have an impact of them Mm. feeling a lack of self-worth or anything else whereas other people can i can deal with and it's the same with friendships it's the same with my family it's the same with um you know, how, how I approach life now in terms of what constitutes satisfaction or happiness as it, within myself. And that's mm. been the biggest lesson. And so, you know, bringing it back to bringing it back to something like bread, I feel incredibly proud with something, you know, with what I'm churning out now, but I don't necessarily think about it that much because it's mm. just become automated for me. Mm. If something goes wrong, just put it in the bin. Does it feel like mindfulness when when you when you're baking bread? Does it feel like mindfulness? Is that all you're doing, or do you know move away from that and start thinking about other things? Um, there are certain parts of the process, but for example, I don't have, I don't read a recipe anymore. Uh, I'm not constantly checking how long yeah. that's been in and how anything else. I'm now starting to recognize what the texture of the dough is, whether it needs a little bit more water or whether it needs a little bit more something else, or if it needs a little bit longer or what the mm. temperature is or anything else, because it just becomes more naturally innate that mm. I can still have a conversation while I'm doing something, but I don't like to because I like to keep it in that process of mindfulness. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I, and I, and I want to be, closer to that process so you're not doing Um, the same thing over and over you you, you're improving very slightly you're becoming competent consciously competent essentially yeah Uh, interesting you know from a from a purely bread perspective and this kind of loops back in i realized that the starter my mother starter wasn't particularly good so so i just binned it and so rather than trying to start, I said, sure, I'm going to start again. We buy a new container, some new flour, moved into a new house. I'm going to start from scratch. But rather than waiting the minimum three or four days, I'm going to give it two weeks. And then I'm going to give it another week. And I'm going to keep feeding that pasta until it's absolutely frothing and it is absolutely ready. And every loaf I've made with it since then is perfect. But I was rushing initially because oh. it was like, well, it said it should have been three or four days and it looks like this and it, should, and it doesn't look like the pictures, but I'm going to try it. And if it does this and, da, 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 and actually it's like, no, do you know what? Just take a little bit of time, take a little bit longer, leave it maybe an hour more, leave mm. it a few more days, do this and the other, maybe have the oven a little bit hot, all those different things. Wow. So I, I think the virtue of patience is one of the hardest things to, to ever get. And particularly in, in the environment and, you know, the, 
the way we live at the moment, everything's instant, almost instant. That I mean, that in itself is a, is a practice just to to learn how to have some patience. Even the difference between I went into a job in 2010 where I walked into a room full of very experienced people and within two weeks, like, right, you're doing this wrong, you're doing that, maybe you could do this, you could do, 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 because I knew how to do their in, the component mm. parts, but I didn't know how to lead or manage. So uh, then walked, okay. fast forward 10 years, I walk into an office with people who are significantly less experienced and mm. spent the first six weeks just listening. Love it. And understanding Perfect. what needed to be, you know, what needed to be done rather than mm. guys, 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 yeah. hang on. We can, we can solve mm. this. Mm. Actually, what we need to do is I need to take a slightly more, you know, strategic view on this. It's all right. Do we have the structure right? Have we got the right people? Okay. Who's got skills to can mm. do what? Why, you know, rather than, you know, similar to kids in the football, you know, kids when they're playing football when they're six or seven, they all chase the ball. But actually, hang on. By the time you get to 17, they all know their jobs mm. and they should be in the right places and they should be knowing what they're doing. Mm. It's the same, same principle. Mm. And now, been in a role where for the last four and a bit years no one's left Brilliant. everyone's progressed wow there's the proof everyone's there, had it? you know and, and they're like right what's next what's next yeah. and i'm now getting to the point where I'm like right i can now move on to other things knowing that they're now going to be able to but i'm still available i can help them whenever else but i'm not i don't have to do their jobs for them my job becomes more about it, it's more about um it's more about tweaks Mm. Speaking Phil's language, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> can can I bring Dave in just just a sec? Because Dave, I forgot you were there for a sec. Sorry. Um, just have you learned something about Ben here? Have, have you? Have, did you know this about Ben? You know what what he'd been through. I mean, I've, Ben, we've known each other for a long time, and we've we've we speak on and off. So I had an understand. You know, we've touched on points. Over, over the years and we've had conversations about a lot of stuff, not in as much detail, you know, but one of the reasons why I wanted Ben to come on talking cord was, well, one, I knew it'd be an awesome conversation anyway, because we have good conversations, whether about sports, a train, a drop or music. Do you know what I mean? We will start talking about stuff. And then before you know it, we, we've gone from going to the moon and we're on, we're on Mars. So I knew it'd be a good conversation. And also... <laughs> You know, we're we're of a similar age. We've, you know, we've grown up in a particular time. We've been through all sorts of stuff over the years. And, you know, you meet people and stuff does click sometimes. You've got similar makeup, a similar DNA. Like yourself, Phil, like yourself, Andy, you know, you're just drawn to those those individuals. And like like, like we say, we might Mm -hmm. not have... We'll speak and then we might not speak for quite a while. But then all of a sudden I'll be like, I'll ring Ben or I'll message Ben. How's Ben doing and stuff like that? And or you'll put something on social that I've not seen for ages and I'll know you've gone quiet because you'll have had something going on, whether it's work or, or whatever. But I always know you're there sort of thing. You're not an individual that I've known and, and then gone, I've lost touch with them. I'll probably never speak to them again. I always know that. I will speak to you again, sort of thing. So, and this has been class for me. I think when I speak, because we do the pod, when I speak to people and people that listen to it, people do open up. It's like on day one, they'll start talking about things. Mm. And I think the conversation, especially today, you know, some of the things you're talking about and I'm going, 
I've been through stuff that's similar to that, but my my route was different in the way that you sought a proper professional help. You've gone, right, this is what I'm doing. You know, I'm going to go and do it this way. Whereas mine was more quite organic and trying to work it out myself, which I think I have done. But if I'd have gone down that route of speaking to somebody who knew what they were doing, I'd have probably worked it out a lot quicker. And I'd probably have more intelligence or more educated intelligence around it. Because when you speak about it, there's a technicality to it. There's a methodology to it. When I speak about it, it's completely different. Although some of the some of the processes and some of the reasoning might might be might be quite similar. But I guess that was your journey and that's been and my journey was my journey. But it's great to listen to it because you, you can see where some of the synergies are. It's it, and I know for people fact that other people will listen to this, especially blokes, because we're crap at talking about stuff, you know? We're just not good at it. Mm. I still f- it, it's the the interesting thing is from that going back to the, the vulnerability superpower, Andy, is that you know, I started a relationship or I came out of a particularly toxic, you know, I'll use the word abusive relationship. Um, and so starting a new relationship with somebody took a lot of faith or took a lot of faith in the power of selection of choice of guarded vulnerability, whatever you want to call it, Mm. but being open to it and taking that leap, I found quite hard, but I found somebody who not only understood what I'd been through and understood elements of those traumas, but was also in a similar sort of look, you know, this, this will, this will take its time, Mm. but having somebody who encourages that, level of openness and vulnerability and care say it's all right i'm not fit you know i don't feel great Mm -hmm. or something's you know can we have a chat because this is this is on my mind rather than i knew you'd do that you always do that because you know that's how you are so well actually Mm -hmm. no you know that having having the support of somebody and also i'll tell you what here's 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 one here's one for the listeners that like this um, whether you're a royalist or not, it was the. I'd gone to have lunch with my kids, and this was what must have been twenty. Yes, this would have been twenty eighteen, and it was cup final day. I think it was Man United Chelsea. Man United lost, and uh, it was also the day of the royal wedding of Harry and Meghan, and I'd been talking to my elder lad about going through my therapy and and basically some of the work that I was going through and, and what difference it was making. And on the other screen, Harry and Megan, I think, were coming out of the church. And my younger lad turned around and went, Daddy, have you, have you got or had depression? And I was like, yeah, that's oh. one of the, you know, that, that's one of the symptoms of what I've been going through. And, yeah, it's been really tough. He went, Prince Harry had depression, didn't he? And I was like, well, yeah, obviously had a lot of trauma with his mum and, you know, other family stuff. I said, um, well, if it can happen to a Prince of England, it can happen to you, can't it? I was like, yeah, it happens yeah. to anyone. And it completely normalised yeah. any of those sorts of conversations yeah, about, you know what, I'm, I'm supposed to be their superhero. 
I'm yeah. supposed to be impervious yeah. to all these things. I have this mm. cape that I'm, you know, yeah. I'm traveling the world doing sports stuff and I'm, you know, going to gigs everywhere. I'm, your uncle's a musician and da, 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 all this lovely stuff. Actually, here I am, you know, just your dad is a little bit broken at the minute. Uh, you know yeah. What I mean? yeah. How old was your son at the time? So he'd have been what, 10, wow. 9 or 10. That is a young age to to be that wise, I suppose, isn't it? Or just to have that brave conversation. Young people now are more cognizant and, and it is those yeah. kind of things, isn't it? It, it is the, you know, as, as, as kids of the eighties, you know, if you had mental health problems, you were in a institution or you would ostracize. It wasn't, it was, you know, mm. or, or if you, if you listen, you know, if you wanted to listen to music, which had men talking about emotions, you might need to have a black jumper that was stretched over your knees or you need to have a quiff and a, oh, hang on. Uh, but you know what I mean? And, um, but it, that, that was kind of, that, that was it. And now you have, whether it's, you know, the likes of Joe Tolbert from idols or, you know, even Arlo Parks yeah. or anybody else talking about vulnerability and emotions in a completely normalized mm. top 10, you know, Billie Eilish or whoever else it is talking about things that are very, very real. And it makes it real. It normalizes things rather than stigmatizes it. And that makes a massive, massive difference um, to being able to talk and discuss things like this in a very, very open and authentic way. And I didn't want to hide it. Mm. I didn't want to be ashamed of it. Mm. I didn't think that it was authentic to be, you know, oh, dad, dad's just nipped out for an hour. I mean, mm. where is he? Oh, he's gone to talk to his friend. Do you know what I mean, it was none of that. It was, you know, this is what I'm doing. This yeah. is my homework. This is what I've got to do this week. This is how, you know, but ultimately I want, you know, you'll see, you'll, you'll reap the benefits of it. Yeah, yeah. That's amazing. Mm. I love that. I, I've got a feeling that we could talk all day, but I also get the feeling that um, <laughs> we've got other things in our diaries, like Saturday. Yeah, apologies. Um, wait, wait to make a girl feel yeah. wanted, Andy. Cheers, mate. Like, you know, cheer, like, tell you what, Ben, can you pull your heart out until <laughs> now? Stop. Then jump on it. Boring, then jump on boring it. Boring twat. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> me, 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 me. Still talking. Still there. Sorry, I'd switched off for a minute then. Um, <laughs> No, sorry, Ben. It's just our, our listener might, you know, might might switch off at some point. I don't know. Um, so there's there's more. There's just, the reason is I've just got more questions. Yeah. That's what, that's that, that's what it is. We're, we're going to Dave's favorite part. Sorry, Phil's favorite part of the podcast, which is the quick fire. Oh, round. the quick fire round. Uh, yeah, do you want to explain this one first? That's when you no, I won't. Because I think we explained <laughs> the quick fire round quite well in in season two and season three. Everybody knows what the, I think the everybody knows what the quick fire round is. How it works? Yeah, yeah. Sort of Go a shortish question rather than a long one because the long ones <laughs> still going. <laughs> anyway, oh, quick fire round. Come on, quick fire round. Come on, mate. Hurry right, up. so everybody answers it. Right, what's your favourite kind of bread? Who's going first? Ooh. I'll go first. The best loaf of bread in the country that I've ever had is the Marmite and Red Leicester loaf from Bread and Fishes at Altrincham Market. Ooh, wow. Well, wow. Put that in the show notes, also, if you would. Yeah. Go, go and speak to Aidan, and uh, that's the best loaf, and they do all the bread for uh, Simon Rogan and stuff. Oh, They're based God. up in the Lake District, but they've got a place next to Altrincham Market, and that loaf of bread changed how I thought about bread. Wow. I love I love that, I love that. Not quite quick fire, but I like that. Oh. <laughs> hey, I'm going, because <laughs> Alti is just like a stone's throw from me, so I'm there this weekend. Nice. Who's next? 
Dave. I've got st- Warburton's why. Oh my god, it's evil. <laughs> yeah. It's evil. Lancashire <laughs> up and boss of this shit. <laughs> Horrible gear. Horrible gear. Mm, sourdough yeah. boys, standard sourdough. If you want to put some cheese or some olives or some tomatoes in it, sourdough boys. Every day of the week. It's a great choice. Job done. Love that. Love that. Phil, me or you? Man, that's so hard. I mean, it is so hard. You can, you know. All right, garlic focaccia. That's oh, what I'm going at. Good, yeah, yeah, yeah. Focaccia. Yeah, focaccia. I love focaccia. Garlic bread. Olive oil everywhere. And I, garlic burnt. Love that. But I'll go back to what Ben says. Anything that's been made with bread is, you know, it's like this isn't quick, quick fire, is it? But yeah, you know, the There's no more questions. There's no more questions, guys. Particularly well. But you, you've you've got Go on. your Warby's white on one side of the equation, which is horrible. Oh it's, it's it's white. The flower's been bleached. It's it's bad for you. And it's bleached been, with ammonia. And apparently. it's been put through. This episode is sponsored by Warburton's. But it's put, been, been created <laughs> through a machine. <laughs> and on the other side of the equation, you've got you've got. Things that have been made with heart, with 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 intent, and all these kind of things, and then that's whatever you know. And it could have been, you know, as Ben says, you know, it could be things. It could be could be could come out crap. It could come out thingy, but it's still been made with intent and made for a purpose beyond just eating. Just looping that in, you can edit this out, Andy. But uh, where I grew, where I grew up, is a place called Chorley Wood, which actually invented the white bread method of the nineteen fifties. Okay. So maybe in my heart of hearts, I have an innate rebellion against the processed ultra white bread of uh, of post war yeah. Britain. It's not bread. Leave go. it in. Leave it in. See, that's in. the that's Proofs. that's that was the real trauma, Ben. Come on, that was where the trauma Possibly. began. Yeah, beating <laughs> meetings. Let's talk about toast, motherfuckers. Tell us exactly what happened when you were eating that breakfast. Anyway, I I I, I would continue this conversation mm. for a long, long time, but I'm not going to piss on anybody's oh, chips. There you as go. We were talking there about. you go. Happy, happy to do a part two at any yeah. point. Well, I, that's exactly what I was leading to. I think we need a part two because there's so much more we could have talked about today. But I really appreciate, particularly your description of your trauma, the openness of that, and the vulnerability. There's so many people I think is going to be listening, especially a lot of guys out there who've been like bottling shit up who shouldn't. Yeah, be doing that's it. a good way of putting it. Who can possibly learn a lot from that? But. Whether they do or they don't, that's that. The the whether words like should and could and those sorts of words, I find uh, I've had to try and remove from my own mm. vocabulary because that would suggest that there is a right or a wrong, and that that also leads to a regret, as opposed to what I, I, you know, there's an option that I can talk about it. Yeah, good point. They could can could talk yeah. about it. Yeah. Not sure would, but yeah, it's it's an option. I hope anybody, you know, if there is anybody who is listening, that they do, you know, if it does resonate at any point, then you know, there, there are, you know, your mates will listen. There's a lot of love for, yeah. you know, there's a lot of love, and there's a lot of there's a lot of ears that will pay attention. I've just had my fiftieth birthday. I'm surrounded by a lot of people. And actually, for the first birthday, I think in my life, surrounded by people that I thought, you know, I actually feel yeah, the love in the room, rather than just. Oh, thank God I invited them, or thank God they were here, or anything. You know, it was just like actually, 
yeah, that 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 sense of worthiness is, that was missing for a long, long time mm. is, is is filling up. Yeah, that's brilliant. Yeah, definitely get you on for a, for a part two if that's okay with you, Ben. And I'd love to. And there's that uh, disclaimer again. Everything we hear, we uh, we're not professionals in this field, but it's entirely up to you if you if you want to make that decision. But Spot on. The, the second part there, Ben. Friends. Surround yourself with friends. Mm. The, the kind of people you can trust and love and you can share stuff with would be our advice. In terms of um, takeaways from this, we like to you know, like have some takeaways from everybody, I suppose. And I don't mean like Domino's takeaway, that kind of thing. <laughs> Some it's a quick fire in that, in that respect. Um, Phil, what have, you, what have you got from this? What, what stands out to you? Well, there's something really interesting that, because um, the flow of conversation was so good and what Ben's opened up about and explained was so amazing that it was almost a throwaway comment that I think if he comes back, we have to go back into, which is the quality of the intervention that got him from where he was to where he is. So we talked mm. about sort of, you know, uh, you know, a lot, a lot of frogs been kissed before he got to the person that understood and could work with him. And I think there's something massive in there because I, I personally, I've had bad experiences with uh, psychoanalysts mm. and that kind of stuff can set you back. So that to me is like, you know, when you, when you get that alchemy, the right person, you know, and that transforms and it, and that couldn't, that m might not have happened. And I think there's something, you know, something, that needs exploring on that in that and you know but I'm not going to go any more than that but I just think that's that's a mm. another subset yeah. of a conversation there that's hugely powerful. Yeah, Completely. it's a very important one, especially yeah. for you know for the themes that we speak mm. about for sure. Yeah, Dave, what springs to mind? What we're going to say, <laughs> the fact that I used to always think my my attitude and, and again point with what Ben was saying was my attitude was it doesn't matter about me it doesn't matter about me as long as everybody else is all right but you reach a point mm. where you go do you know what it now has to be about me because if it's not now about me I can't pitch in and help everybody else and I think when you reach that point that's mm. such an important point of real realization and blokes us blokes you know it's our job to do this. It's our job to look after the family. We're invincible. You know, we can't look weak. We can't have these conversations. But there are many, many, many blokes out there that are struggling with stuff. And you just got to start the conversation. You just, however, however that is, you know, as small or whatever that is, like Ben said, whether it's your mates, whoever that is, you've got to start a conversation. Verbalizing it is, is for me, is sets you on that road. And, you know, it's so don't, don't, what's the, what do you always say? Don't suffer in silence or whatever that is. But you, you gotta, you reach a mm. point where you've got to sort your shit out yourself. And whatever that trigger is for you, you, you know, you gotta go, right, I'm important. I am of worth. And I, you mm. know, go and, go and get the help that you mm. need. I like that. I like that. But for me, there's, there's so much could, you know, could be here for a long time. But I think what, um, what stands out to me is is the the patience that you demonstrated with yourself, Ben, and you know the care that you took in in trying to get right. There was immediacy that you needed; something needed to change very very quickly. But the patience in 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 how you processed it and how you've gone about doing it, things like 
starting to do something that you're not good at, but respecting the fact that you're not good at it. And you may not be good for a very, very, very long time. And you can always get better and trust in that process. I really enjoy that, that virtue, I suppose. And it seems like it's absolutely been worth it. You, you know, the, there's there's a, a Ben here now we're speaking with. He's completely different to a Ben who was probably around in, in a previous life. And I think that's the case with a lot of people that, that you know, who, who would get on. They, they change because of an event. But it's the patience behind that, learning how to how to not want immediate results, but know that it's worthwhile putting the putting the effort in. Um, so for me, that's 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 what stands out there. Ben, what 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 have you taken from this? May I ask? I thank you for having me on, and and the the respect that you've shown in in listening and let me share my story, but also how each various parts have resonated with each of you. There were various moments in the time when you know Phil had been nodding a lot more, like a lot more sort of yeah, right, hang on, and and he's like, wait a minute, I'm just yeah. going to write that down because it was just different yeah. things. So I felt I was kind of rambling quite a bit. So I hope that no, <laughs> there's something cohesive for you to uh, to to pull out of it. But actually, feeling quite emotional, reflecting on it. And reflecting on some of that journey, some of that pain, and some of the, some of the, it's quite easy for me to normalize what I went through as just being part of that whole process. But to actually sit and strip parts of it out and to dwell on certain parts. Um, and things that came into my head that I hadn't thought about for quite a long time. Mm. Um, knowing that. Also, I was in a very safe place with someone I've known for over 20 years and two people I've known for less than 20 <laughs> minutes before we started talking. It, that is something that has, again, going back to if somebody invited me to do another, another conversation or to talk about my experiences, I'd, this would give me enough evidence to give me confidence to be able to talk knowing that I'm in a, a safe, non-judgmental place with people who are going to respect what I've been through. That's, that's really important. And you, you guys should be very proud of what you do um, because it does, it, it is, it does what it says on the tin. And um, I did have some apprehensions. And I wasn't sure what was going to happen, but to within 10 minutes, it was, you know, I wasn't thinking about anything else other than just, you know, the three other faces on the screen. So thank you for that. No, thank you, Ben. Thank you. Welcome to Talking Cop, mate. Yeah. 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 One of us now. Been, a, <laughs> been an absolute privilege. Thank you very much. Thank you, man. How do our listeners get in touch with you or do you want them to get in touch with you? Um, uh, <laughs> very, very good question. <laughs> you can have a think about that if I'm you want really to. Uh, yeah, the, the, on, the, on, the online hate campaign. <laughs> um, uh, so, um, i probably, I mean, my, my email address is, uh, Ben Elkington at hotmail.com. If anyone wants to drop me a line or, or anything else, um, I'm on Instagram, um, at Ben O'Pause. <laughs> Ironically, um, so that's good. Uh, good. Just got I'm middle aged and sweat a lot, so uh, you know. Uh, but yeah, um, but yeah, try try on either of those two, um, or come directly to you guys Absolutely. And, and connect Absolutely. with me. Absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah. But, uh, 
anything I can do, if anyone's, um, even if it just resonated, then uh, would be very, very nice to hear. It might have made a, lot, a little bit of difference to someone. It will. Yeah. It will. 100%. Yeah, definitely. 100%. A lot of gifts there. Really appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. At the start of the show, Dave, you, you said you said to Ben, I can't believe you've not uh, um, delivered any of your bread to me. How would they do that? Buy Bread X? Oh, oh shit, man. Uh, That's a d- get rid of that. I apologise for that. <laughs> You're welcome. To- yeah, you can edit that one out. It was better in my head than it was. Verbal. You knew it was dreadful. As um, soon as you spoke, as soon as so, you verbalised um, it, mate, you just went, yeah, that's not good. That's not I know, good. I know. But, you know, it's not about perfection, is it, at the end of the day? No. Um, it's, it's about what level, of, what level of shite can you deliver today? And, um, yeah. Thank you. So, uh, reminder: Walking Cod coming to um, coming to Talking Cod HQ. Mm-hmm. Looking forward to seeing some of our listeners um, who will become talkers as well and interact with us. So, talkers and walkers, really looking forward to that. Mm-hmm. Friday, thirteenth of October. What can possibly go wrong? We're going to put a route together. Um, we'll tap into one of our previous um, amazing guests, Nick Thompson. Uh, we'll ask him if he can put a put a route together for us he can't join us unfortunately but he's the king of the outdoors he's the bear grills of talking cod he would uh, love to join us but he's got another event on so we'll invite him back for the next one so uh, love you love you nick um speak with you very soon hopefully uh, dave you want to talk us out yeah, the show yeah absolutely. of course we will boys of course we will mr elkinson pure class mate absolute pure class as i knew you would be what a way to get season four episode one off out there uh, pure class as we always say guys if you like what you hear give us a like give us a share give us a comment if you want to get in touch drop us an email at hello at talkingcod.com until the next time when we bring the cod awesomeness <laughs> thank you very much love you guys see you next time yeah.